following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. How we doing? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. It's always good to gather with you guys, man. I, lo- I love y'all. I love y'all. Um, and, I, and, I, and I love I love being able to, to unpack God's word with, with my family. Um, I, and I'm grateful for you. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit, starting off by talking a little bit about, uh, talking a little bit about a man um, whom I have great adoration for, uh, for his gifting and for his um, ability to, 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 to demonstrate that gift at such a high level, given, given uh, the, the infirmity in which he has been uh, beset with uh, for, since his birth. Uh, man, that, that man is uh, a man by the name of Stevie Wonder. Um, Stevie Wonder, he wrote um, a song in the late 70s, um, and, and, and that song grew, had much popularity. Um, the, the name of the song was Love's in need of love. Love's in need of love. Amen. Anybody, anybody ever heard that song before? Amen. Beautiful song. Uh, one, one, of the, uh, one of the performances that Stevie Wonder had was in the 80s, um, 1985, as a matter of fact, at the Apollo Theater. Uh, Stevie Wonder performed that song, Love's in Need of Love. Um, and before, before his song, he spent a few minutes just kind of sharing his heart. Uh, about the current moment in time that, that the country found itself in and that, that, that he and the audience were living in, 1985. And the, the, he talked about the advancements in industry, the advancements in economics, the advancements in, in technology, and he, he mentioned how the instruments that were even on the stage at that moment, that those instruments could program themselves, that they could play that they could set those instruments to play by themselves, pretty much like we set instruments even today. And even our technology reflects that just in terms of what we're able to do on a Sunday morning up here on stage, right? No musicians, and yet it feels like we got a live band sometimes on Sunday mornings. And so, and so technology has even advanced more, but even during that time, they had the ability to play instruments or have instruments play on their own if they would set them to programs. And so he talked about all these crazy advancements in industry, economics, technology, and yet the one thing that lingered to him that he, um, that he really grieved as he shared was the fact that he didn't sense that there was much advancement in love. He said this, and, 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 and the thing that stood, stood, stood between the advancements in technology and the, st- and the things that stood between the lack of advancement in love was the same thing, which was people. And he, and he, he surmised, Steve, Stevie's point was, was ver- rather poignant and it was rather clear in, in, in the sense that if we could make all these miraculous advancements come to pass, it only makes sense that we could see some advancements in love if we really committed ourselves to it. That we could see love feeding off of the ideal of love itself. If Stevie, was perform- if Stevie was performing that song tonight for New Year's Eve, or if he's performing, maybe he is performing that song somewhere for New Year's Eve tonight, Love's in Need of Love. If he was performing that song, or if he's performing that song, he could play his opening comments from 1985, and they would apply more now than they've ever applied before in the history of that song. 
Particularly when you, when you think about the course of the last year, it seems that it seems that if you're just kind of looking from you know looking from a distance, it feels like love is regressing amongst us rather than progressing, right? And you say, well, what about the church? What, 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 where does the church fall into that? I mean, after all, when you think about love in this world and you think about love, uh, love being. Um, being in chaos, so to speak, or being in flux, then you think to yourself, well, certainly the church themselves would be the beacon of light that, that this country and this world needs in order to have that jolt of love that, that, that it so desperately seems to be in need of. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how many of you have been watching the, 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 the state of the church over the course of this year in our country. I'm talking about just church, not church proper. I'm talking about just the idea, the, the, the identity of the church as America knows it. I mean, we, we, we've hit a pretty rough patch as it relates to a reputation of love. We're about as well-liked in culture as the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, we, we haven't been able to just simply wave our hand and yell out persecution to dismiss it. We haven't been able to just simply say, hey, we're just, we're just being persecuted. That, that's why nobody loves us. Um, some of the accusations have actual credible grounds. And as each charge is being hurled, um, hurled at the church's walls, many of them are starting to stick. They make sense. How non-believers view us has been, has been on a precipitous dive the last several decades. But the areas that they, they perceive us negatively are worth mentioning, actually. When you ask unbelievers, what do they think about the church? What do they think about the American church, the state of the American church? There's many things that come to mind. And you hear these comments over and over and over and over again, unloving lacking grace, lacking mercy, lacking concern for the poor and for the least, tolerant of racism and bigotry, tolerant of sexism. We all can find examples of this not being the case, right? But generally speaking, if we just take a peek at some of the infighting that's happening in the church itself, we have to confess that many of these, many of these things, many of these accusations and complaints hold some merit. They aren't without merit. Take these perceptions and lay them against the public, public's perception of the early church, and you get something entirely different, however. So, so you got this church today's church in America, and the public's perception of it, and you got the early church and the public's perception of it, and let me tell you something. They weren't liked. As a matter of fact, they were persecuted often. Does that make sense? But the perception that they were being persecuted under was radically different from the perception in which we are facing right now. Here's what I mean. Tortillian one of the early church fathers of the late second century, commented on the way that Christians were perceived in the pagan cultures of their day. The, the, the things that people often said about Christians, 
non-believers said about Christians. And they remarked these, they said these things with wonder and awe as they looked at the state of Christianity in the second century. This is what Tertullian said. He said, but it is mainly the deeds of love so noble that many that, that lead many to put a brand upon us. Listen to that. The deeds of love are leading the outsiders, the non-believers, to brand us. How would you like to be branded that way as the church? He continues and he says this. See, they say, how they love one another. For they themselves are animated by mutual hatred. See, they say about us, how they are ready even to die for one another. For they themselves would sooner kill. Do you hear that? That in the midst of a culture that is spewing hatred, they look in to the Christians and they say, look at how they love each other. And in the midst of a culture that is seeking to kill the Christians, they look in and say, look at how they are so willing to die for one another. They're so amazed and so struck by this love that's being demonstrated before them that they are going as far as branding them, branding Christians as people of love, even when they want to kill them. Do you understand that? Justin Martyr, another second century church father, expressed this pervasive Christian love in this way. He said this, we who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Did you hear that? We used to refuse to associate with people of another race in another country. We used to destroy one another. We used to hate one another. Now, because of Christ, we live together with the same people that we used to hate. And we live together with the same people that we sought to destroy. And we live together with the same people that were of another race and another country. And we pray for our enemies. My vision is that the church would be known for that even here in our time. My hope is that the church in this city would be known for that. My hope is that this church will be branded as people that love. And the most fruitful way I know of doing my part in seeing that vision fulfilled is to encourage it here in this church first. And to pray that as it's being encouraged in this church and that other brothers and across, the, across this country are doing the same, that God would mobilize the church so that this world, this country itself, would see the church and brand the church as people of love. And so for the next several weeks, we will be working through 
the, this notion of love with the hope that God would breathe on us and allow us to be a community that stands unwaveringly for the truth, right? That does not discount or dismiss the truth of the gospel at the same time demonstrating such a persuasive and such an infectious love that the people of our community would desire to know the source by which such a love could be produced. I want to highlight two points for you, all right? What does it mean to love neighbor, and why does it matter? What does it mean to love neighbor, and why should you care? Matthew 22, verses 33, 34 through 40, we read that just a second ago. These men, these Pharisees, had already heard about an earlier attempt by the Sadducees to trip Jesus up that was unsuccessful. Now they come along saying, well, the Sadducees aren't that smart anyway. We're pretty sharp guys, so we got something that we can trip Jesus up. And so they literally come asking Jesus about a commandment, not so that they might grow in their obedience to him or grow in their obedience to God, but rather in order that they might test him. They want to trip him up. They want to make him look foolish so they, they can discount him as the Messiah, as the son of David. Does that make sense? And so they come along and they ask Jesus a question, which is the great commandment in the law? They bring a lawyer. No offense to Matt. He's a much better lawyer than this guy. But they bring a lawyer. This lawyer comes along. He says, what, what's, the great, what's the great commandment in the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And then he says this, the second one is like it. Now, what's interesting about this second one is that every time Jesus is asked about this in our New Testament testimony, he always couples these commandments. He never separates them. He always couples them. And so he says, the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Again, he never separates these two commandments. They are always coupled together. And the reason that they're always coupled together, the reason that he never separates them is simply because they can't be separated. We can't love God, listen to me, we can't love God without a visual demonstration of that love by the love that we give to those who were created in his image and in his likeness. Do you understand that? You cannot love God without a visual demonstration of that love for God through love of neighbor. The most fundamental and basic visual demonstration of our allegiance to God is our love for those created in his image. It, without it, it just feels Gnostic and ethereal and mystical for you to say that I love God and yet have no tangible visual demonstration of it at a, on, a, on a horizontal plane. For you to just live in this vertical plane and say, yeah, that person up there, I love. 
but have no visible, tangible demonstration on a horizontal, earthly level is insincere. Do you understand? And so he goes as far as every time he's asked, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Every time they record this, this, this message, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Even when he asks someone else, right, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Or, or you tell me what is the greatest commandment. And he responds, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you do well. You do this and you will what? Live. In other words, life is, life is woven into those two commandments, not just one. Life is woven into those two commandments. Love God, love neighbor. You can't separate them. But he says, love your neighbor, all right, in, in this inseparable fashion that, 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 that demonstrates that I love God by the way I love neighbor, all right? But he says, in, in terms of the how should we love neighbor, he says, Love them as yourself. In other words, always, as you, if you're thinking about how, the, what does that look like? Well, this is how it looks, all right? And we're going to continue to unpack this over the next, next five weeks, all right? So we're going to have plenty of time to talk about how this looks. But let's just, give, let's just give some primer to this for today, all right? It looks like always, always placing yourself in the shoes of those around you. Asking yourself, if I was that person, what would be beneficial to that person? What would be beneficial to me in that moment, in that time, as I am thinking about connecting and engaging with that person in this moment? What would be beneficial? What words would be beneficial to them if I was them, right? If I have a moment to speak to them, what would be beneficial to me if I was them in this moment? If I have a moment to share with them, what would be beneficial to share with me if I was them? If I see them in need, what would be beneficial to me being in similar need as that person? Love your neighbor as yourself. In the midst of, in the midst of some sort of sin, in the midst of some sort of transgression against me, if I was the person committing the transgression, how would I want someone to respond back to me even after I transgressed them? How would I want someone to view me even as I transgressed? Does that make sense? So, so I have a horrible tendency when, when getting in heated debates with my wife of only seeing my view of the situation and rarely being able to see her side and to look at it from her angle and to want to impose my emotion without considering her emotion. Does that make sense? But it's not just with my wife. It's pretty much everybody we engage with. This blindness to not view it from their perspective, but to love neighbor as yourself is to be increasingly aware of how the other person is viewing 
and seeing the moment. How the other person is feeling, how the other person is experiencing that moment. What is the other person needing in that moment? And not just, and not just the closest people that you are encountering, but everyone. Love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone that you engage and that you meet on the journey called life. Love your neighbor should, should force you to think differently about everything. Should force you to think differently about the most mundane things, how you play sports. It should force you to think about how you view politics. It should force you to think about everything, how you go to work, and how you engage people at work. Loving your neighbor as yourself is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week effort. Does that make sense? If I was that person whose dignity was being challenged, how would I want someone to fight for my dignity? And the reality is, is that you put yourself in that situation and you realize that you would want someone to fight for your dignity with the same enthusiasm that you fight for your own dignity now. You wouldn't say to yourself, ah, they'll be all right. You wouldn't want somebody to say that if that was you, right? You would want someone to fight with the same enthusiasm and the same rigor that they would be fighting for their own. Jesus says, upon these two, love God, love neighbor, hangs everything. All the law is wrapped up in these two commandments. Every single jot, every single I, I mean, every single dot, every single jot, every single tittle is hanging on these two commandments. Love God, love neighbor. Every act of obedience, in other words, should be birthed from this commitment. There's a lot of times that these acts of obedience are not birthed out of these two commitments. Let me share that with you right now. There's a lot of times that our acts of obedience are birthed out of other things. For example, our acts of obedience oftentimes can be birthed out of self-righteousness. Our acts of obedience can be birthed out of pride. Our acts of obedience can be birthed out of, an, out of a need to make ourselves known to the masses or a need to be seen. Or need to be, or need to be heard, or need to be celebrated, or need to be uh, 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 promoted. But Jesus says it's upon these two commandments that all the law hangs, and so every single act of obedience should be birthed from this commitment to first love God and secondly love neighbor. These are the two things that should motivate all of your Christian doings. Does it make sense? That's the first point. Second point, why should you care? Why should you care? A couple of reasons. If you care about gospel enablement and gospel empowerment, you will love your neighbor. In other words, if you care about the ability of the spirit to be at work in the life of the Christian, and in particular, your life, you will care about love for neighbor. Colossians 1 says this. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, listen, 
and of your love that you have for all the saints. We heard about it. The ministers that went and visited you came back and told us how you love so well. Again, people branded by love. That's what we're pursuing, right? The Colossians were known for a unique and astonishing love. They, they, they too, like the early church after them, was building a reputation for the manner in which they loved each other. Here's Paul's words. How they loved all the saints. That, that we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Not just the saints they agreed with. Hello. Not just the saints that they quote-unquote get along with, right? You know, because there's some saints that we, I, I, just, I just vibe with them. But the other saints, oh, yeah, I, mean, I can do without them. Does that, does that make sense? All the saints, the saints that they agree with, the saints that they don't agree with, the saints that are agreeable, and the saints that are disagreeable. The saints that have things in common with me, the saints that I can go play ball with, and the saints that hate basketball, the saints that like movies, and the saints that don't even think I should be going to watch movies. Are you tracking with that? Love for all the saints is what Paul was hearing about and what was resonating back to him from the ministers that went and visited them. It was a love so powerful, so beautiful, that the other saints had to tell him about it. Isn't that what we want? Don't you want God to move in such a way in the assembly of, in this assembly, in City Lights, assembly of people that others leave from our presence speaking of the love of Christ which is on full display? Isn't that what you want? What does Paul say, what does Paul say is the key to getting there. He says this in verse 7 of chapter 1 of Colossians. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. If you care about gospel empowerment, you'll love neighbor. Why? Because the gospel empowerment is the fuel behind loving neighbor. And when I say gospel empowerment, I'm talking about the Spirit's power. It's the Spirit's power that enables you to love. Romans 5 and 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out upon us through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, the first one that he names, Paul says, is what? Love. That the Spirit enables our loving. And he enables our loving. Listen, church, not just your loving for God. Again, understand that God sees this as a parent. So it's not just your love for God that he enables, but your love for neighbor he enables. We love and we love deeply, not simply because God has called us to it, but we love and we love deeply also because he has empowered us by his Spirit for it. Anybody ever heard Jesus' words in the, in the fifth chapter of Matthew 
So I'll give you a few of them. You, heard, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? In other words, somebody take an eye from you, you take an eye back. Somebody take a tooth from you, you take a tooth back. Somebody punch you in the, punch you in the jaw, you sock them right back in the jaw, right? You, and, 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 we, and, and we're like, yeah. And Jesus says, but I say to you, do, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone will force you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. All of these are meant to transcend, or all of these are meant to reflect a love that transcends humiliation. Does that make sense? A love that isn't concerned about its pride. A love that isn't concerned about being stepped on. We're all here, and we say that, that, okay, okay, Crawford, okay, we'll put that on the New Year's resolution list, right? We'll see what happens. It's pretty hard, right? Pretty hard. You'd be right about that, but listen, it doesn't mean that it wasn't intended to be pursued. All these words that he speaks are not empty words. As a matter of fact, he says this after he says those things. He says this in verse 43 of chapter 5 of Matthew. He says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus aligns being children of God with these commandments. He says, he says you're, you're living out your call as children of God. And so whether today's Christian is comfortable with these kind of commandments or not is of no consequence to Jesus. It appears Jesus is, and he's calling us to follow them. His words aren't intended to be a take it or leave it proposition. Does that make sense? Now we treat that in today's culture, in today's Christian culture, we treat Jesus' words like a take it or prop, a take it or leave it proposition. When you tell people that he talks about turning the other cheek, you say, well, hey, uh, listen, man, I, hey, I can do a lot of things, but I ain't gonna do that. Like, like I told them to do that, right? It's like, no, I mean, I didn't make this up. Sitting in the book of Brian, this is this is the gospel. This isn't, this isn't like insurance options that you can just check a box or uncheck it. This is the commandment. And not only is it the commandment, but he says, this is what it looks like to be children of God. But here's the catch. They are to be pursued within the limits of your willpower. And that's where we mess up. We say... Dude, I ain't never been able to do nothing like that. What are you talking about? Let somebody slap me? Come on, man. You didn't know me back in the day. I'm not asking you about back in the day. I'm talking about today, the Christian you, the one who the Spirit lives in now. It wasn't meant for you to do it within your willpower. It was meant for you to hear a commandment that sounds radical and impossible and cry out to God and say, Lord, Help me. I need your spirit alive in me to love like you call me to love. 
Our deficiencies of love towards others aren't simply indicators of lack of will. Our deficiencies reflect a lack of dependence on the Spirit's help. If you care about gospel empowerment, you'll care about loving neighbor. If you care about gospel fruitfulness, you will care about loving neighbor. You care about gospel fruitfulness, you will care about loving neighbor. The church is on a complete and total decline in our country. It is sliding that off the scales right now, all right? And if you're, if you're looking at it in a usual kind of sky is falling type of context, the first thing you'll say is, well, of course it is. This world is so godless, has no other choice but to fall off the radar. Let me tell you something. This world ain't nearly about as godless as Rome was. And the church flourished. And so the question has to be, is it all just the world is godless? Or is that the church has lost the fire that is supposed to be on display, in particular in its way, in the way that it loves God, in the way that it loves neighbor? Yeah, the church, yeah, the world is godless, all right? But it ain't all the problem. Does that make sense? It's worthy of pondering what else can the church, how can the church look within itself and say, okay, what can, what can we do to be more fruitful and to be a, more, a, a better witness of this gospel that we've embraced? The Bible says this in John chapter 13, when he had gone out, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Listen, a new commandment I give you. You're not leaving this earth. That's what he starts with. You're not leaving. I know some of you guys want to go and hide, right? Just go completely off the radar. Just go and hide and wait. You're not leaving. So, since you're here, this is what I give you. Love one another just as I love you. You are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so, instead of going recluse on me, right, and just hiding out from this godless world that you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't, you know, I just can't take it. I just can't even be around it. I, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. Let me just go hide and wait on Jesus. He says, no, 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 that's not the call. That's not the command. The command and the call is to love each other and put love on prominent display for the world to see it. And the world will know that you are mine by the way that you love each other. We can't faithfully reflect the gospel to the world without loving each other. You can't expect gospel fruitfulness. In other words, you can't expect mission fruit. You can't expect produce from the seeds that are planted of the gospel, seeds that are planted from the gospel, rather, if you aren't committed to a radical love being on prominent display for the world to see from the people that are planting that gospel. 
if the same people that are putting tracks in people's hands are people that are, that are bickering and arguing and fussing and fighting and complaining and screaming and hollering at each other and yelling on Twitter and yelling on Facebook and, and, and looking for all sorts of ways to condemn, I don't know, track probably won't be effective. I'm just guessing, though. Are you tracking with that? Love one another. And as you love one another, God says, that's how they'll know you're my disciples. You hear him saying that? He said that in John. He just said it in John 13. He said it in Matthew 5, right? You're sons of God. You'll be children of God. You'll reflect your adoption. How? By loving radically. Loving deeply. The, the, the Romans in, the, uh, I believe, the third century, there were some, some letters that were written, uh, some historical documents that were captured from them as they looked at the Christians in that day. And one of the things, one of the things they talked about is the atheists. They called Christians atheists, you know, godless, basically, because Rome had all these other gods and Christians didn't worship any of those gods. Christians worship the God. And so they called them atheists, right? Unbelievers, non-believers. And, 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 and there's, there's this one gentleman whom I, whom I fail to remember his name, but he writes to another gentleman, and he says, the atheists, right, demonstrate, demonstrate unbelievable love, and they are drawing and winning people with it. it the love that's reflected brings gospel fruitfulness. In the third century, when people were getting sick, plagues were hitting communities, people were literally putting their family members out on the street that had the plague. Nobody was taking people in except for Christians. Risking even going sick themselves and dying themselves to treat and care for people that were sick. Does that make sense? And it was that type of love on display that caused an eruption in Rome and brought people to Jesus Christ. Fam, I love tracks. I love them. Love them. But they better come with some love. If you care about gospel demonstration, you'll care about you'll care about loving your neighbor telling the gospel story in a visual way. First John chapter 4, this is where we'll close this morning. He says this. So we, verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. So whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love, by this is love, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not perf been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother uh, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so we see, we see at the end there that claiming to love God while simultaneously not loving brothers 
and sisters is the greatest of contradictions, according to God. You need to hear that. It's the greatest of contradictions. It is a contradiction. It does not make sense in the mind of God to say that you love him and you don't love the brothers and sisters whom you see every day. But in order to tell the gospel story visually, to put it on display, he says that we love, verse 19, because he first loved us. And so what that tells you and what that tells me is that our love is fueled by the sacrifice that God rendered for us. We love because he first loved us. Our love is fueled by the sacrifice that God rendered for you and for me. And so when you love, when you love, you are telling the story of the gospel. Now, you still have to use words, all right? I don't want you to think that just because you just go in love and you never proclaim and preach that you've told the story in its entirety. But what I'm talking about is that you are telling a visual piece to the gospel story. You are saying that it was because he loved me that I love like I love. And let me share this, that, that any time love is absent, it undermines the gospel. It undermines the work. Anytime it's absent, it undermines the testimony that God loved us. John says the reason that we have love is because he loved us. And so if we don't have any love, it, it almost looks like he didn't love us. It looks like he didn't die. It looks like he didn't spill his blood. If you tell me that a God took all of my sin, all of my shame, all of the burden that came with that sin and came with that shame, and he nailed it on the cross uh, through, by which he was slain, that he put it all up there, and you don't love people? I'm going to start to wonder whether or not he even did it. Because you got to understand, that's some heavyweight stuff you're talking about there. You're saying that a God took all of your imperfections and that though, you, though, your, sin is, though your sin runs like the Mississippi River and that you still sin every day, you're telling me that, that, that though he forgave you and he died for you like that, that you can't forgive Others for much, much simpler and minor infractions? It almost feels like he didn't do it. Does that make sense? And so we are visually telling the story of the good news in each demonstration of love that we put forth. Does that make sense? Now, Here's the, here's the second half of that. We receive, we receive motivation, encouragement, empowerment to love as we look back to the good news. Does that make sense? So every time you feel like you can't love, you need to look back to Jesus again. Every time you feel like somebody did something that's so harsh that there's no way I can love again, you need to look back to Christ. Every single moment where you feel like, I can't forgive, you need to look back to Christ. 
when they smite you on the cheek or smack you in the face, you need to look back to Christ. When they snatch your tunic or take your Jordans, you need to look back to Christ. Because in Christ was every single abuse that you have ever experienced plus some. And yet he loved. And yet he died. And yet he redeemed. And yet he saved. And so look to him to find the necessary fuel to love. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Love, it, love is starving for love. The concept and the ideal of love is starving for love, as, as Stevie said. But, but our love cannot survive on its own. Our love cannot survive with willpower. Our love cannot survive with sheer strength. We need another love to fuel our feeble efforts of love. And the love of Christ has done that for us. Our love, as Stevie said, is being fed with love, but it's not a love that we know of. It's not a love of this world. Our love is being fed with a love that's supernatural, that's eternal, that's divine, and that has saved us through the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you and we give you praise, glory, and honor. Father, as we march through these weeks, we pray, Lord God, that you would bring about growth in us, that you would bring about change in us, and Father, that you would set us, set us ablaze with love and passion, not just for you, but love and passion for those who are created in your image and likeness. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.